Baxter's blunder with Hillrom raises questions about its future. And I'll talk with Crane's reporter Corley Jay about the looming possibility of a rail strike. Sources that I talked to said that we would not see an impact until after about day four of the strike because it's a little slack in the railroad system. I think that it was made that way on purpose. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, November 29th. At Wintrust Community Banks, you're more than just another account number. No matter your stage of life, Wintrust's dependable bankers are as dedicated to your financial success as you are. After three decades of serving communities across Chicagoland, Wintrust has built its reputation on exceptional customer satisfaction and a strong local presence. That's why Wintrust is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in retail banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. Visit Wintrust.com slash J.D. Power to learn more about Wintrust's award-winning banking experience. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2022 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Cranes reporter Corley J. here to talk about the looming possibility of a railway worker strike. So the threat of this first arose in September, but the timing now could look a little bit differently this time around. Corley, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Amy. Great to be back. So talk to me about what's going on right now with railway workers. Another threatening strike as they rejected the contract that was negotiated by the Biden administration. They're calling for the same things that the last contract didn't address what they asked for, more lenient attendance policy that includes more sick pay, flexible hours, as workers are penalized when they take time off for medical reasons. Um, the contract actually included a 24% pay increase over two years, I believe, but the workers want more pay in a shorter amount of time. The contract also gave them three days for doctor's appointments without penalty and an extra day off. But workers feel like it isn't enough. And like I said earlier, it doesn't address all of the pain points of maintaining staffing levels when people do unexpectedly call out. So they're feeling that that pain point and they're trying to uh, negotiate a contract that addresses these problems. So for those who maybe weren't following the story as closely as you have been, what called off the, uh, the possibility of a strike in September? Congress interfering, basically, they had like a tentative agreement, which was the contract that I just mentioned. But the two main uh, unions are the ones that's kind of delaying things because they account for such a large portion of railroad workers. So with them kind of saying, no, we're not going, it's kind of making other smaller unions fall in line with them. Even though other unions have agreed to the contract, they will not cross picket lines. So that will, you know, cause ripple effect. And and so with the timing of this, this could happen as soon as, as you've noted in reporting, the week of December 5th. What kind of implication does that have for supply chains? We're entering holiday shopping season. And would that possibly impact, you know, getting goods to retail outlets and things like that? Right. So, of course, we're going to see a bit of an impact, but holiday shopping won't be impacted. Uh, I talked to a lot of sources that said that uh, the first thing we will see impacted is perishable items like fresh produce, frozen foods and things like milk on the shelves because they are the last to ship. And of course, people want those things and they run out kind of fast. So we'll see that impacted first. But holiday shopping won't be impacted at all. Retailers already have their stock already 
and they actually have a lot. That's why we saw, well, we see this all every year with early Black Friday sales and things like that. But yeah, they already stocked for the uh, holiday shopping. So that would not be impacted at all. So you guys, everybody's good on that. And, and what about travel? I mean, I know we're entering the busy travel season with airlines. I assume that's mirrored in, in uh, rail travel as well. Yeah, so I didn't really get a, a, a good response from Amtrak or even Metra, but they said it basically will be like the same thing as last time. Amtrak, it says they're they're monitoring the freight. I feel like they don't think that is going to happen because they were saying like we're monitoring the uh, management labor contract negotiations and they just said that it doesn't involve Amtrak or the Amtrak workforce, but they use the rail so they will be impacted. It's just a matter of them telling us how they're going to be impacted. They're going to refund passengers if it was to happen. That's what I expect to happen. As far as Metro, they have three lines that are operated by Union Pacific and BNSF Railway. And they had kind of did an agreement that the other ones wouldn't be affected. So they would have to like basically do that again and talk to the the railway and kind of negotiate with them on how they will be impacted if it was to happen. So I think that's an important point to underscore, right? That if this strike does happen, it's not just, you know, we think of like rail travel as being a cross country Amtrak, but that's, you know, hopping on a metro and going to the suburbs like that would that would have a pretty big impact here in Chicago. Seven, you said they seven lines in the metro system. Two of them are owned by, by metro, so two of them would not be impacted. And then the other ones, the five other five that are in the gray area, that was when they had to do the negotiation to see how things would work out. What are your as you were reporting on this, or as you have been reporting on this? What are your thoughts on the possibility of another um, government intervention to stop this from happening? No, that was, that's a great question, Amy. I'm so glad that you asked this because when I talked to my sources, I was just like so sure. Like, I do not think it's going to happen. First of all, I feel like they're likely to step in to avoid the $2 billion loss a day that will impact the economy. They don't want to lose that much money. And not only Congress, I believe the, the uh, railroad itself. I don't think that they will let it go that far, but they know that Congress will step in. So instead of them making that contract to something that the uh, union workers would agree on, they're just going to let Congress step in because they know they're going to do that. So personally, I don't think it's going to happen. Last time my story came out uh, about the impacts, I think that they can't, they called it off the next day. So I would not be shocked if that happened. The Congress has the power to extend the strike deadline. So even if they don't, uh, come up with the the contract, the new negotiation, then they're just going to extend the deadline. That's what I believe. But we'll see if I'm wrong. <laughs> so so that's a possibility, too, because because you mentioned that it was, uh, you know, kind of scheduled that if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen the week of December 5th. But that could get kicked down the road a bit is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it could still be a threat, but not as early as they're saying it is. OK, so if the strike does happen, however... That's going to have, I mean, even if it's a smaller impact than, say, air travel, that nonetheless will have some impact. What about alternatives? Yeah, so we do have alternatives, but it won't be as quick as the railroad because it's efficient as far as travel and a cost because of the labor shortage. We don't have enough trucks to get the product to where it needs to be. And the demand is going to drive costs up even more. Sure, sure. And, and, you know, I think especially you, you mentioned, you know, perishable goods when a lot of households are already seeing that impact on grocery bills. Yeah, yeah. And it's screwed up the price, the prices as well. So with already the strain inflation, we're going to see prices shoot up even more if this happened. 
So if it should happen, and you know, we, we just kind of mentioned some contingency plans with the trucking industry, things like that, how immediately would we start to see those impacts if the if the strike is on? Oh yeah, so so two out of the three sources that I talked to said that we would not see an impact until after about day four of the strike because it's a little slack in the railroad system. I think that it was made that way on purpose where you have a lot of things that people could get, but we'll see that dwindle really quick, in my opinion, like after four days, you're going to start seeing those, those things not on the shelves, like the perishable item. Yeah. Two to four days is a pretty short window. Yeah, it is. Like, dang, like that, that, that is slack. Right. Like, <laughs> we think of slack being like weeks or months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's literally days. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting, and we will keep turning to you for the latest to see what happens. Thanks so much, Corley. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me. Coming up, a look at what the average Chicagoan may spend this holiday season. That and more right after this. The Crane's Daily Gist podcast is supported by Northwestern University's Center for Talent Development. CTD offers unique enrichment and credit-bearing programs to help students identify and nurture their academic strengths. In-person and online winter courses for pre-K to grade 12 are enrolling soon. Learn more at ctd.northwestern.edu. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Baxter International flubbed its biggest acquisition to date, tanking its stock price while raising doubts about the company's growth strategy and potentially making Baxter itself a takeover target. Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis reported that the Deerfield-based medical products manufacturer last month disclosed a $3.1 billion impairment charge related to the $10.5 billion purchase last year of Hillrom, confirming the company significantly overpaid for the Chicago-based hospital equipment maker. The charge reflects declining sales for Hillrom's frontline care, patient support systems, and surgical solutions businesses. Hillrom-related revenues dropped by mid single digits in the third quarter compared to the same period a year prior, contributing $735 million to Baxter's overall sales of $3.8 billion in the third quarter. That according to a press release from the company. Baxter's shares dropped 6% when the company revealed the charge in its third quarter earnings release on October 27th. The stock has dropped 36% this year as the diversified medical equipment and pharmaceutical supplier has lowered its full-year earnings guidance in every quarter. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 healthcare sector index is down 3.8%. On the third quarter earnings call, Baxter CEO Jose Almeida tried to reassure investors about the acquired business, blaming the charge on supply chain constraints, rising interest rates, and declining equity valuations. For the top maker of farming equipment, Deere and Company demand for replacing aging tractors and harvesters will continue to outpace delivery. Bloomberg noted in reporting, citing CEO John May, that many farmers are in positive cash flow territory as both droughts and Russia's invasion of Ukraine keep crop prices high underpinning what was described as an extended replacement cycle, along with fast-filling order books and a forecast of more record profits for Deere. But May and his team said during Wednesday's earnings call that manufacturers will continue to endure fragile supply chains. 
with pockets of improvements coming slowly and more work needed to clear partially completed machines from inventory. Inflation also a factor. Some relief in raw material and freight costs will be canceled out by higher labor costs, energy, and components in fiscal 2023, with production cost increases expected to be in the mid-single digits. Sales are set to more than compensate, with Moline-based Deer forecasting an 11% increase in prices for its large agriculture segment. Crane's Albie Galoon reported that the Wirtz family is moving ahead with plans for a sprawling residential development on more than 700 acres of farmland it owns in unincorporated Lake County, an investment that predates not only the family's acquisition of the Chicago Blackhawks, but even the birth of ice hockey itself. Galoon reported that the Wirtz Corporation aims to develop Ivanhoe Farms northwest of Mundelein into what was described as a farming-oriented residential community that will include a mix of single-family homes, apartments, and other housing, along with retail, restaurants, office, and other commercial space. That according to a memo to family members written by company chairman Rocky Wirtz. According to a public notice in the Daily Herald, the village of Mundelein will hold a hearing December 12th to consider a proposal authorizing the village to annex the property on Illinois Route 60. Galoon also reported that the project will aim to transform the Wirtz dynasty's oldest asset, a property that has been in family hands for more than 160 years. Ivanhoe Farms was the original farmstead of Rocky Wirtz's great-grandfather Michael Wirtz, who immigrated from Germany and settled in the area in the 1850s. The property is part of the Wirtz business empire that includes the Chicago Blackhawks, acquired by Rocky Wirtz's grandfather Arthur Wirtz in the 1950s, the United Center, Two Banks, and Breakthrough Beverage Group, a major alcohol wholesaler. In addition to Ivanhoe Farms, the firm's real estate holdings include a downtown office building and apartments on Chicago's north side. Galoon also noted in reporting that the family is in the process of selling an Evans an apartment portfolio for $35 million. Crane's Ali Marathi reported that this holiday season, Chicagoans can expect to spend an average of $719, a number that includes holiday travel, food purchases, and shopping. That according to data from business management consulting firm Accenture. Though Chicagoans' expected spending is lower than the national average of $770, it's still up 19.3% from last year's predicted $580 in spending. The main culprit, of course, is inflation. Prices were up 7.7% in October over the year prior, according to data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Michael Cohen, chief retail industry advisor for market research firm the NPD Group, told Cranes that at the same time, financial caution is coming to the forefront, and that may give retailers more hoops to jump through in their efforts to win over customers. Marathi noted in reporting that keeping service levels up will be vital this year, and difficult as retail companies are still in the thick of labor issues. At the same time, the NPD Group data shows that customers are planning to do more in-person shopping this year, which is not a surprise, Marathi noted, given that the last two holiday seasons were impacted with COVID-related precautions and closures. Many retailers had to shut their doors in 2020 due to COVID, and last year, as the Omicron variant surged, many had to put in extra effort to convince customers that it was worth it to leave their homes. Many began pushing their online stores and rolled out options for online shoppers like buying online but picking up in-store.
But as Marathi also noted, the data that retailers gathered on customers could pay off this year. Companies like Bolingbrook-based Ulta Beauty are leaning in to personalized promotions. Rather than blanketing customers with generic coupons they likely won't use, for example, Ulta might instead send a coupon for a specific product to a customer who has previously purchased it. Though there continue to be supply chain hiccups and concerns, such as a potential rail union strike, retail inventory levels are 22 percent higher than they were last year. And if a rail strike were to proceed, Marathi noted that experts say that inventory level means the strike wouldn't have a large-scale impact on retail until after the holiday shopping season. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Corley J. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.